Glad to see you this morning. If this is your first time at Redeemer, my name is Ben Morrow. Thank you. I am the family ministry pastor here at Redeemer. And um, if this is your first time, I just want to say that welcome. Thank you that you're here. Um, as we've entered into the Christ, Christmas season in this season of Advent, this is also the time of year where Redeemer spends a little bit extra emphasis on missions and what God's purpose is for us as a church. Um, if you notice, you'll, you might see one of these flyers here in the seat next to you. I invite you to take a look at this. But this, is, this flyer, actually, it's a call to the people of Redeemer. This is a call for us to, to pray and to consider what the Lord would have us specifically do. Um, if, if God's leading you to give a little extra toward missions, um, this flyer is a good breakdown for you on how Redeemer wants to um, use that money that, that we collect. So um, just take one of these if you don't have one of these and um, look it over. Um, take that when you have the opportunity. Um, we're in the middle this month, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Proclaiming Peace. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, Spencer Essen Price kicked us off with a fantastic 30,000 foot view of God's purpose in sending Christ um, to collect for himself a group of people, not just in one or two geographic locations, but to the farthest points of the earth, from every people, tribe, nation, yes, even as far as America. God intended to bring into um, one group his people. Um, so he, he started that for us two weeks ago last week. If you remember, Jamie talked to us about the proximity of mission. Specifically, he was saying, we, he was calling us to remember. Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember the sermon? He, he called us to remember where we had come from. The fact that we were outsiders. The fact that we did not have a claim on the promises. We were actually, as, as Spencer put it a couple of weeks ago, I don't see any any, any Jewish people from the Jewish tradition. We were all Gentiles who would have been considered outsiders. Not, not given the promises. Not given the um, commands. We were, we were the ones that had to be grafted in. Um, and Jamie reminded us that we were the ones on the outside of the glass looking into what was going on. And through the blood of Christ, verse 13, through the blood of Christ, we were allowed to come in. So if you weren't able to be here for one of those two sermons, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to them. They were fantastic sermons. Um, you can find them on our website at RedeemerTN.org if you, if you haven't um, listened to them. But um, that's, that's kind of where we are now in our series. Um, I'm in verses 14 through 17, and I want to talk to you this morning about the peace of mission. The peace of mission. So if you're, if you're taking notes, if you want to you want a few points to jot down? I'm going to bring you three things this morning from the text. I want to talk to you about the peace of violence against hostility. A little bit of a paradoxical statement, but we'll get into it. The peace of violence against hostility. Second, the peace through reconciliation. And third, the peace as Christ's ambassadors. So according to Ephesians 2, Christ ultimately came into this world to tear down the walls of hostility in order to bring about peace. That's what this passage that you heard read is all about. It's, it's dovetailing off the, the passage from last week, talking about how the, the blood of Christ has taken 
us who were afar off and brought us together. And here he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both. Who's the both? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, a group of people who had a claim to the promises but stumbled over their Messiah. They were that stumbling block. And then the Gentiles, those who were on the outside looking in, Jesus has come to make both groups one. And He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's why He came. Paul is giving us a purpose statement for the coming of Christ here. This is why Christ came. We're in a season where we're celebrating the the first coming of Christ. We're celebrating our annual Look, our focus on Jesus coming. Well, why did He come? Why is that so important? Paul says here specifically it's to to knock down those barriers of hostility that kept us from being reconciled. That kept us from peace. So first of all, I'd like to talk to you about the peace of violence against hostility. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to notice the verbs here. The the words that Paul uses to describe what Jesus did. He says in verse uh, 14, He's broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, He abolished that law of commandments and expressed ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man so that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's using some very strong language here. In other words, Christ came and violently brought peace. Now think about this. He threw even His death. His death, a violent, bloody cross, is what it took to bring about our peace to God. It's what the, it took nothing less than that for us to be reconciled. And it was the peace of violence against hostility that did this. Paul is saying in very clear terms that it took... Um, it took this sort of, violence is the word, it just took this violence in order for Him to bring about our peace. Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand the mindset of the, the, the Jewish mindset. The, the Jewish mindset for a second. You see, the Ephesians, when they're reading this, we're not talking about Americans like us sitting down reading the Scripture. We're not even talking about Jewish people who are sitting down reading the Scripture. We're, li- we're talking about a group of people on the west side of what is now Turkey, Gentile people who understand in that first century context the dividing line between Jews and Gentiles. This is something that Paul has had to deal with all throughout the Scripture. If you read Paul and you look for this, you'll notice it. He's always dealing with this concept there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. In Christ, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Well, here's the problem. In the first century, sociologically, there absolutely was a difference between a Jew and a Greek. If you were a part of the Jewish tradition, it was everything to you. It was your identity. Being Jewish affected your politics. It definitely affected your religion. It affected your concept of the family. You, can see, you were considered to be one of God's select group of people as opposed to all the outsiders, the untouchables, the undesirables, the people who didn't have access to the promise. You were Jewish. You were special. This, is, this was the mindset that we're dealing with here sociologically. 
And it touched every aspect of their lives. It, it encapsulated their identity. And so when Paul came along and said, hey, I've got a message for you. In Christ, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There's no difference between male and female. There's no difference between slave or free. Just about anybody who heard that would raise their hand and go, you're crazy. Of course there's a difference between Jew and Greek. Of course there's a difference between male and female. Of course there's a difference between slave and free. Our whole society rests on these distinctions. That was the first century world. Even in the Jewish context, if they were to go to the temple, even for Jewish converts, excuse me, for Gentile converts, there was a section there in the temple, the outer courtyard, that was considered the courtyard of the Gentiles. That was as far as they went. You didn't go as far as the Jews did. It, there was this ever-tightening group of people that were allowed into the inner holy places. So on the outside, the Gentiles, if they were converts to Judaism, if they said, I want to follow Yahweh, I want to be circumcised, I want to follow the traditions, they would say, fine, they would let them in, but there's only so far you could go. Just last week in the news, you might have noticed this, they, kept, they unearthed a new sign Another sign, they've done this before, but they found another sign in the temple area that they dug up. And in Koine Greek, it says, Jews only on pain of death. You've been warned. They're serious. They were serious about this. This, is not, this was their social structure. So the Gentiles could go this far. That's probably the area where Jesus ended up kicking over the tables of the money changers, that area. They could, they could go around there. But, if they wanted, but when it was time to sacrifice, there was this inner place, not the Holy of Holies, we're not there yet, but there was this place where the Jews could go in. This kind of a courtyard within a courtyard. That was as far as the ladies could go. It's the courtyard for the women. If you wanted to go up to the place where you brought the lamb to be sacrificed for you and your family, you had to be an able-bodied Jewish male of age. It was very specific. If you weren't, you weren't allowed in. So even within these structures, you see these lines of demarcation. And there were places within, we know with like the Holy of Holies, where even the priests couldn't go in. Only the high priest, only on the Day of Atonement, could go into the holiest place and offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. Otherwise, that was God's place and we dared not enter. So you have the Holy of Holies. You have the place where Jewish males as heads of the family could go. You had places where, you know, all, as long as you were a Jew, even the ladies could go there. And then Gentiles are on the outside looking in. And Paul comes along and he says, Christ died to destroy the hostility. To destroy the barriers that bring peace. Well, think about that for a second. He's, he's messing with everybody's identity. Who you are. Everything you've been taught from, from the beginning. He's, he's messing with all of that. We know, we know it was always God's purpose to incorporate the Gentiles. Us. It, it was always God's purpose to bring us into the fold. We have the luxury of having the whole New Testament to tell us so. The prophets got glimpses of that. They prophesied about this. By the way, if you were in Stephen Carlson's class this morning, I promise you we did not collaborate on this. He just set me up in a way that, I, if you were there, he set me up in a way he didn't even know he was going to. 
The prophets prophesied about these things, but the people still didn't get it. And this is why Jesus was called the stumbling stone to the Jews. They were looking for a political Messiah, listen, who would come along, get rid of these undesirable Gentiles who had come in and messed up their system so that they could have their nice little theocracy there, God at the head, where they could just be the people of God and not worry about everybody else and just live as God's people living like kings in the land. That's what they were looking for. And when Jesus came along, they missed Him. Because He wasn't there to kick out the Romans. He was there to deliver men from sin, including the Gentiles. He came to mess with the whole system. He came preaching the kingdom of God, not the kingdom that had been established or their interpretation of it. And we find that when Jesus died, Think about this. When Jesus died, remember your story from Sunday school up. Remember all the events that happened. The night He was betrayed, He was delivered over to men. He went from Pilate to Herod. He was beaten. He had crown of thorns put on His head. He was led out. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. But think about Matthew's account for a second. There's something that happened. The moment Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And when that earthquake happened, It says that the rocks were split. Tombs opened. People actually got up out of the tombs. You remember that part? We don't talk about that very often, but it happened. Imagine it was rather frightening. And one other thing happened. Just a little line there in Matthew that if if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. It says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. That ultimate barrier. Keep out, you're not welcome. This is the place for holy God. Out here is the place for you. That barrier was torn down because in Christ as He died, as He made the ultimate, final, complete payment for sin, there was no more need for it. And Paul says when Christ came, that He came to get rid of those barriers. To knock them aside. To kill the hostility that keeps us from being reconciled. To keep us from peace. I'm going to talk to you for just a minute about the peace through reconciliation. Do you remember what Pastor Jamie talked about last Sunday? He, he really emphasized this when he, when he said, do you remember what it was like to feel like an outsider? I, sometimes when we get into our routines, sometimes it's, um, it's kind of easy to, to forget. I don't know, some of you may vary on this. I don't know your experience from growing up. I don't know about your years in middle school and high school. I don't know if you were the popular kid or if you were the kid that always felt like the outsider. I don't know how it, was for, how it is for you now. But do you remember what it was like to realize that you were on the outside looking in? That's where we were. As Gentiles, we had no, we had no claim to the promise. Jesus came to bring the peace that comes through reconciliation. To be reconciled. Do you know what the word reconciled means? The idea is somebody stepping in and taking the hands of two people who are enemies and bringing them together as friends. This is what God has done for us through Christ. We were His enemy. We were lost, sinful, and without hope. And Jesus has brought us to God. Reconciled us where we had no right to claim such a thing. 
He's given us, He's brought us peace through reconciliation through His blood. But we're talking about missions. I don't want to just, just spend time talking about the doctrinal side of things as much as we could enjoy all of that. We could spend time enjoying what Jesus has done for us. But the Bible doesn't just give us these things to just sit back and enjoy. In fact, we're going to see in His Word that He does something different. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, you can. If you want to just write down the reference, feel free. But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16-20. through 20. Paul is, doing, Paul is explaining, he's taking the same idea that God has reconciled us, but he's putting, he's putting shoes on our feet. He's giving us something to do with it. It's not enough for us just to say, great, we've been reconciled, Christ has come, we're His children. Yippee. No, He's given us something to do. Let's look at verse 16 in chapter 5. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, he's referring to this old concept of, okay, I'm going to measure you, I'm going to judge you by your, your race, your tradition, your background, your family name, all the sociological markers. I'm going to know you according to the flesh. Are, are you male or female? Because that, in that society, that matters too. And Are you slave or free man? I'm, Paul says, in Christ... We no longer judge people by the flesh. Okay? We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Christ was that stumbling block, the Jewish Messiah, right? Come to find out He's more than just the Messiah for the Jewish people. He's the Messiah for the world. For all who would believe. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, it, Familiar passage to you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and... And what? Hang on a second. All this is through Christ, who reconciled us to Himself. So same concept. And what? Took us to heaven? He reconciled us to Himself and said, alright, go have fun being the people of God. Just... Do your thing together. I'll come back and get you later. Is that what he said? All this is from, a, from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul is saying Christ came to start a work. He accomplished that work through the cross and through His resurrection. And by doing so, He's provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. And having done so, He sent His Holy Spirit into the world to empower a group of people to carry on the ministry that He began. The ministry of reconciliation. What, what does that look like? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Okay, This was God's purpose. We're back to His purpose. Not counting the trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who has the full authority to stand in the place of someone else and to speak their word according to their purpose with all authority. It's as if that person was standing there in the place, was speaking with the same voice. 
Paul said, I'm an ambassador, and he's given us this ministry as ambassadors. He's called us to be a people to continue the work that he started, to speak the way he spoke, to bring his purpose to the world. That purpose of reconciliation. Now, an ambassador does not have the right to go rogue. We don't, it's not like someone appoints someone to be an ambassador. Let's say a country appoints an ambassador to another country, and he says, you know what? Have fun. Do what you want to do with it. I'm just going to give you a bunch of authority and a bunch of privileges, and you just go do whatever you feel like is best for our country. No, that's not how that works. An ambassador is appointed in this way. He's given authority. He's given privilege for the purpose of carrying out a specific work and speaking a specific word on behalf of the people who appointed him. In this case, as ambassadors, we don't have the flexibility to play with God's purpose. In other words, Jesus came for a purpose. That's our purpose. Jesus came for, on a mission. That's our mission. He gave us words to speak. Those are our words. That's our place. And as long as we operate in that by His leadership, we do so in His authority. We're, we're called ambassadors. Now, let's, let's bring this down practically. Okay, Again, we're still talking doctrinally, but what do you do with that? Okay, I've got an idea of who God is, what Christ has done, what He wants from us. He wants us to carry out that ministry of reconciliation. How? Let's go back to Ephesians 2. What was it specifically that Christ came to do? He came to destroy the dividing walls of hostility. That means if I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ and you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, that means I don't get to operate in a way differently than the way Christ first did. Instead, He handed off a work to, to us. It means that if Christ knocks down a wall of hostility, I don't have the ability, the right, or the authority to walk behind Him and start building up walls that He knocked down. Are you with me? So what were those walls that we looked at before? What were those walls that Paul constantly kept hitting on throughout the New Testament? In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. In Christ, there's no male or female. In Christ, there's no slave or free. I think one of the most obvious ones just to knock out of the air, the lowest of the low-hanging fruit here, you've got issues like racism. You've got issues like, um, you know what? There, there are people who believe that in Christ, yeah, there is a difference between Jew and Greek. Yeah, there is a, yeah, it does matter what color your skin is or what your background is or where you're from or, or what your nationality is. In Christ, it does matter. By the way, there are, there are some voices on the scene that are getting louder that want to espouse some sort of pseudo-Christian, so-called Christian type of segregation or a type of um, separation. It's incumbent on us to look at that and to call that what it is. If I go behind Christ 
and build up a wall that Christ knocked down. His whole purpose was to bring in all peoples, right? To bring in everybody, to say we're not going to make these distinctions and focus on this in Christ. We're doing away with those distinctions so that the gospel is available to all. If I then go behind Christ and start building up these walls that Christ knocked down, I am by definition being anti-gospel. It is anti-Christian. It goes against His whole purpose. Now, I could stop here. I could spend a long time just talking about this one issue that I raised, and it's worthy of it. It's a worthy subject. But I think most of us sitting here, I'm, 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 I'm assuming that most of us sitting here have, are on the same page with, with regard to something like race. I'm just going to make that assumption. Not that we don't still have issues to deal with on that, or points to make, or conversations to have. I think those are worthy and we should do that, but for the sake of time, let's just set that on the shelf to come back to sometime. Let's bring this down a little farther. Let's come down a little closer to where we are. What are some less egregious, more respectable type of sins that maybe affect us in the same spirit that would keep us from peace. That would keep us from what Jamie was, was begging us to come to last week, to have this heart for other people. What are some of those things? I'm even thinking of sins that are of the same family, akin to the same thing as racism. It might not be as big or as egregious, but it's still, what are some ways that we still exercise some sort of exclusive tribalism? Clicks within the body. Favorites and groups that other people just don't feel welcome to. Paul hits that hard in the book of 1 Corinthians. He hit that hard in the book of Galatians. Did you realize that the only time in the whole New Testament that an apostle was rebuked by another apostle was when Peter was stood up by Paul in front of everybody and Paul said, what Peter was doing was contrary to the Gospel. What was Peter doing? Peter and Barnabas had a group of people, Jews and Gentiles, that they were ministering to. And some big wigs of the Jews came and visited, and suddenly Peter and Barnabas got caught up in hanging out with the cool guys that were there. Hanging out with the Jewish people. They went back to that whole, well, okay, but these, you know, these are... Remember, this has always been God's people. And we're going we're to sit over here. Actually, it was a matter of who was dining with whom. They're sitting at the cool kid's table. And Paul stood him up and said, Peter, what you're doing is contrary to the Gospel. I don't know how you get more blunt than that. I'm glad I wasn't Peter that day. My goodness. But why was it contrary to the Gospel? Because Peter was doing something he was undoing what Christ came to do. He was building up a wall again that Christ came to knock down. We're not identified by these social structures. We're not identified by rich, poor, black, white, male, female, whatever. And to, and to, to approach a group of God's children as if, yeah, I know we're all God's people, but these are the, these are the cool ones. 
it still creates the barrier. I remember when uh, my dad was pastoring. My dad passed away about a year and a half ago when he was pastoring in western Kentucky. And I was at his church for about six years of the time he pastored there. There was a man in our church. He's not with us anymore. But there was an older gentleman by the name of Delmer. Everybody in our church knew who Delmer was because Delmer sat on the front row every Sunday. And we really wish he would have sat in the back. Delmer, Delmer was the guy. He didn't just nod off during the sermon. Delmer <laughs> nodded off in the sermon. Delmer had his own special little bathroom on the wing nobody else wanted to go into. Delmer, Delmer was Delmer. And everybody knew who Delmer was. And as a young man, I remember going up to my dad one time and just saying, okay, between me and you, what are we going to do about Delmer? We've got to do something about Delmer. This is, everybody's watching him. And my dad reminded me of something. He told me something very calmly, but it's something that stuck with me all these years. He reminded me of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 12 that says that every member is not only needed, but essential. He, the, the passage actually says the lowest is essential to the body. And he kind of just, he said, Ben, I don't know how, he said, I don't even know how to explain this, but Delmer is as important to this church as I am. This is the pastor talking. Well, it put me in my place, you know. I'm not, I wasn't a pastor, I wasn't anything else. I was just complaining. <laughs> And, and Dad just kind of reminded me, Ben, in Christ there aren't the haves and the have-nots. And there's not the cool and the uncool anymore either. This isn't high school. Jesus didn't just come to kick over the tables of the money changers. He came to kick over the cool kids' table as well. In Christ, we don't have this anymore. So if this is if this is who we are, if this is where we are, if we, if we realign our thoughts, if we realign our purpose with Christ's purpose and remember what He came to do and what He's called us to do, then I think we're talking about a, having a heart that's willing to embrace the outsider. As, as we've heard before, since we were the outsiders looking in, that should give us motivation. But then when we come and address our own hearts and realize just how much of this division still lies within us because we want to be at the cool kids' table. Now listen, I didn't, in high school, I wasn't the star football player. My, my school didn't even have football, okay? I never, I never was the coolest guy that walked into the room. That's not who I was. So it would be easy for me to walk in, walk in and say, hey, all you people at the cool kids' table, you know. Let's bring this a little closer. And this is something... This is something that I've wrestled with whether I can even bring this to you because I'm just admitting my own weakness here. This is something that I struggle with very much. I think some level we all do. And that is Jesus calls us to serve people, to serve one another. He uses language like prefer one another build up one another to the exclusion of my agenda and my, what I want, the things I care about, getting rid of all those things and preferring one another. He gave us the example of washing 
each other's feet. And something hit me as I was looking through that in preparation. They hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you realize that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, before Jesus went out, Jesus washed the feet of Judas too? Jesus looked at a man, history's ultimate betrayer, okay? Jesus looked at a man that he knew would never worship him, would never appreciate him for who he was. And he still took up a towel, got down on his knees and washed that man's feet. And then turned to look at the disciples and said, now go do it to each other. It's easy for us to love people. It's easy for us to embrace people who are like us, who appreciate us, who want to be with us, who give us the credit we feel like we need. It's another thing to wash the feet of people whether they ever notice or not. Or whether they ever care or not. Because that's what Christ did. And that's what Christ has called us to. What do we do with this? What, what do we do with this? Jamie said last week, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wrote this down because I wanted to remind us of it. This is a quote from his message. If you missed it, I want us to hear it again. Jamie said, my prayer is that you will become broken over those far from God, so broken that you will pray differently, live differently, speak differently, make friends differently, host dinner parties differently, attend church differently, Give your money differently. How do we do that? Well, I kind of feel like on one hand, if, if the heart wants something bad enough, we find a way to get it. I know that there are people in this church who do this service thing well. There are people to learn from. It might behoove me to go find one of these people and say, hey, how are you doing this? I'm having a hard time reaching out to people. Or maybe I'm in a situation where my, my time doesn't allow for a lot. Go to a, you might be saying, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I can't get out of my own house. Why don't you go to a stay-at-home mom in the body who's doing this well and ask them how they do it? Go to a man who works 50 hours a week or, or more, longer and ask them, how do you do it? God wants us to be ministers, to be calling out for reconciliation to people as we go. Not just to sit here and develop a new program where we can all come together and try something new. But He sends us out, where He puts us where He wants us for the purpose of being lights in those places. I believe He's called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors of Jesus and it's my prayer that our hearts embrace God's heart who are on the outside looking in without hope just where we were, just where we were before Christ invaded earth to come and get us. As Spencer told us, He didn't just come to get us. We're going to be talking a little more about God's purpose for His church. Marshall's going to be leading us in that next Sunday. We're going to be talking um, next Sunday night at our prayer gathering. It's a special mission gathering where Spencer and Carrie will be um, facilitating that. But we're going to be talking about the mission of the church and maybe some things that, that we can be looking forward to as the new year goes. But I want our minds, our hearts to be here 
not just focused on how how frenetic things are for us and how harsh, you know, how harsh our schedules are and how busy we are and all the things, the agendas that we want to get done to stop and say, remember God's purpose. To remember what He's called us to. He's called us to the same ministry of reconciliation that Christ initiated. And I want to be faithful to that. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank You for Your love for us. As a sinner, I didn't have any right to come into Your holy presence. Even as a Gentile, I didn't have a right to call myself recipient of Your promise. But I know through Your Word that Christ came to include us all. Lord, so I thank You for Your grace. I pray that I pray that Your heart would become our heart. I pray that You would help us to seek out ways, even if it's just talking to our next door neighbor, but to seek out ways that You could use us where we are to be faithful ambassadors. I thank You that your, your work didn't stop in the first century. It didn't stop in the Middle Ages. It didn't stop in the 20th century. It hasn't stopped. It just, your mercy just keeps flowing out and you've, you've grafted us in and there's more that You want to go get. So help us, Lord, to be faithful to what You've called us to. In Jesus' name.